Hi, I'm Chris Hutchings and I'm your host. Welcome to the 10Q Interview Podcast. In today's episode, I talk to Mitch Lee, vegan expert and all-round nice guy. And I don't mean nice in like you know placating way. I mean absolutely top, top guy. I took a lot away from this one. I'm sure you will too. If this is the first time you're here, I wish you a very, very warm welcome. I hope you enjoy this podcast. I think you will. If you do, let me know your favourite bit on social media at 10Q Interview, everywhere you may look. Don't forget to hit subscribe. And if you do get any value out of it, if you do enjoy it, a review is always hugely appreciated on whichever platform you're listening to this. It would also mean the world to me, and no doubt Mitch too, if you share this episode far and wide. There is probably at least one person you'll think of when listening who would benefit from also hearing it. Make sure to let them know. Anyway, enough of me rambling. Now, onto the podcast. Mitch Lee, a very, very warm welcome to 10Q Interview. How are you today? Very good, thank you. Thanks for having me on. No, oh, man, it's my pleasure. I think I just, as I said to you before we started recording, like I, I've enjoyed seeing your content you're putting out on social media. It's it's refreshing to see the stories you tell and the, you know the little the stuff you're sharing. So kudos to that. Thank you. Yeah, no, it's a it's a good place. I think the LinkedIn world is growing and becoming a bit more honest, which is a really really important part of of the startup and, and business world that everyone needs to see and, and embrace really. Yeah. Are you, are you sort of, have you got a, a methodology or a, a reason for sort of putting yourself out there? Not really. Like I think most people, if they see my content, they'll think, or I get a lot of comments like, are you the founder? Are you doing this? And whereas right now with what I'm doing, I'm, I'm not the founder anymore. I have mm. had a previous business, um, which I'm sure we'll, we'll talk about, but just the way I act and the, the way I am in terms of, if I believe in something, I will shout about it because I believe we can make a difference. And I think it just comes from a place of passion, putting on okay. stories and experiences that people may or may not find useful because um, no one wants to just read a sales pitch every day. Um, no. I think it's much easier to relate to someone who's actually speaking their mind and, and having opinions on things. And I generally will always try and show a positive spin, like even if it's real adversity or really tough, there's yeah. something you can learn from that. Oh, cool. Okay, so that segues nicely on then to question number one. You meet a stranger and they ask you what you do. What is it you're most likely to say to them? So the the technical answer, um, when I thought about this one, is my role is as uh, in the food service team doing sales and chefing. So I work for a plant-based brand called Aura Foods, which if anyone sees the spelling, it's H-E-U-R-A. In the UK, we've accepted Hura is the way of saying it, but we do plant-based meats. Where, where are they from originally? It's a Spanish brand. So okay. Ayura um, translates from Catalan to ivy, as in the plant. Um, yep. So the idea is we want to grow as fast as ivy in the food system. Oh, nice. Clever. So it's kind of that nod to, towards being like a planty name, but not having mm. to say plant or plant food or like every brand seems to do. But with that question, I thought beyond that, there's there's more to what I want to say. So for me, it's all about creating a more accessible, delicious, sustainable opportunities for people to enjoy food. So a lot of my role will be going to restaurants, bars, pubs and saying, hey, do you have a vegan option? Is it gluten free? Who can eat it? Like how much does it cost him? What's it environmental score? All these things which are becoming really important now as business yeah. credentials and businesses are trying to go greener. So for me, it's a really mission led role in a mission led company, which is why it resonates with me so much having been vegan since 2016 okay i was just about to ask how have you sort of i guess there's two angles that i and i'm a bit of a leading question because i know the answer but 
how have you ended up in this role? Whistle stop version. Um, I used to do kind of food blogging and recipe content back in 2012, 2013, before influencers were a thing. Food blogs were kind of getting bigger and bigger, but um, there, it was not the level of influencer and, and day-to-day roles that everyone has nowadays. Yep. So I was doing that for a while, then ended up getting an opportunity to work in a vegetarian cafe. So I was not a trained chef. Um, I just enjoyed making food, trying new concepts. I'd see something online, experiment. It was a lot of trial and error. And this restaurant, we, me and the founder got on really well. And he offered me this part-time job. We would be making things like vegan cheeses, meats. And in January, 2016, we decided to do veganuary or sorry, I decided to do veganuary because the company decided to go fully vegan. So it's called Offbeat. They've actually now moved and they're in the new forest and it's phenomenal. Like if anyone's mm-hmm. looking for an amazing vegan restaurant to treat themselves to, um, this is, they're going to have a Michelin star or a Rosetta any day soon. It, it's that level of vegan food. Wow. Um, but we've always, we've always strived to make food to that level. Even when we're in a little antiques mill in the middle of nowhere, we'd have bookings. And if you didn't book, you wouldn't get a table because it was a really small place. So I was there for three years. I went part-time. That was fully vegan, that restaurant. It was fully booked. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. We This is back in, so it's 2015 I joined. So this was 2016. We went fully vegan. And if you hadn't booked, we only had about maybe 40 covers in the space. But for lunch, we only only kind of did breakfasty lunch times. Um, But we had to start limiting how long people would have a table because people would travel up to an hour, two hours to come for our food because we'd grown this reputation of how delicious everything was. And for me, I, I enjoyed being a part of that to the point that I managed the restaurant for a year um, whilst Offbeat split to grow more. Yeah. And in doing that, I I kept getting asked like, oh, are you the founder? Like, is this your business? Um, and there was no growth for me in the time. Like I couldn't put money into the business because I didn't have the money and there was nothing else I could give other than all of my time and effort, which is what I have essentially was doing so I after I think it was in one week I had five different people say have you ever thought of doing something on your own and it was that like light bulb moment of like why has everyone chosen this week I'm not probing it I'm not saying oh I'm thinking of doing something I just had five different people kind of say it so I was like hang on a minute maybe there's something in this so ended up trying to work out what I could be doing and along with my wife we brainstormed some different business models because it was like initially, okay, let's let's do our own vegan restaurant or cafe. And then you go, okay, you need a lot of money to get that yeah. off the ground. Um, dark kitchens and things weren't as popular. So there wasn't even like that option, which can be a bit of a smaller capex, but you can do a similar thing. Yeah. Um, so for us, we were like, well, at the time, there was only All Plants and Cook really doing the vegan ready meal business. Um, Cook had a very limited vegan option and yeah. being vegan and gluten-free, I thought, well, even on all plants, I can't order a box of six meals because they've only got three meals which tick those boxes. So is there something in this? So we did a load of research. Literally, it was like, I'd, I'd get up at 5 a.m., do, do work for a couple of hours, researching, okay, packaging, units, whatever you could do. Go in to do my work at Offbeat, come home, and then do it again all evening. And that was the life for a few months while we were kind of getting things off the ground. Just, just to interrupt, sorry. You you said obviously starting a restaurant was expensive. I can't help but think yeah. that what you were doing was kind of been cheap. 
Well, that's the beauty of it. Um, so it, in theory, yes, we, we got a startup loans through um, startup loans company. Uh, I found a local unit. So we found a kitchen space in what essentially was a converted tractor shed that with the, the landlord, we converted into a fully working kitchen with all the kind of ceilings and everything. I managed to get a load of equipment secondhand again, just, or well, I say secondhand free for a lot of it just put a message out on Facebook. Like if anyone knows um, of any kitchen equipment going for cheap, let me know. And my friend just gives me a call. He was like, we've moved into a new office. There was an old uh, nursery because it was like a care home style setup and all the kitchen equipment's going to be paid to be ripped out. So if you want to come and take it, you're doing us a favor and you can have what's there. And in that, I reckon, yeah, probably about 10 grand's worth of CapEx in terms of, all the steel workbenches, the ovens, the, yeah, nice. it was, it was uh, like a payday. It was, it was amazing. So yeah, I think in total, we, we had a startup loan of 25,000, something like that. Okay. And that, that was enough to kick things off. We, we actually did it as like a, a 15 and then a, a 10K later or something, but all, all kind of government backed and supported and, and all of this. But yeah, I mean, it was a, a fun journey to get started, but definitely like, when you're looking at a restaurant, even the leasehold, you're looking somewhere in the middle of nowhere, 60 to 80 K plus. Um, oh, okay. it, it was just, couldn't, couldn't do the maths to go, we can throw everything at this because you'll still be starting from scratch. So then you have to buy your pots and pans and everything else. So yeah. it, in theory, was a much smaller model. Um, a lot of people will do this kind of ready meal business now from home to begin with and then grow up and scale. And you can do rented kitchens and shared kitchens nowadays. But at the time, it just made sense. We we paid something like a thousand pound a month for this unit. And again, we were like doing the maths again. Okay. How many meals do you need to sell to do that? What's it going to cost? And yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it was, it was a good fun foray into it, but yeah, we did, we did that for, for three years for like, I mean, the launch story was my favorite, the, the whole way, probably again, coming back to my LinkedIn stuff, we were very active on Instagram showing all the behind the scenes going yeah. to the farm, like the tractor shed and going, hey, look, this is where our kitchen will be. Next next week going in being like, oh, there's shape forming. They're putting the floorboards down. What do you think? Logo design, showing them that, packaging. So I got my audience, which I'd built through blogging, through being in the restaurant, doing cooking lessons. They were all started, like one of the comments when I had the food blog was always, I'd love to try your food. So yeah. straight away with the delivery, we're like, if we have a restaurant, it's a physical place, it's limited as to who can come. Whereas if you have it as a delivery and you can make it transportable, you can ship it UK wide, um, then there's something in that. So that was kind of the model. And so, by so what, sharing... What, sorry, what exactly? So what you were making ready meals, you had a whole range? Yes. So we launched, uh, when we launched, it was nine different meals, um, all vegan, gluten-free and nut-free, fully recyclable okay. packaging, um, we donated a meal for every meal sold. Uh, yeah, we, we had like carbon neutral delivery. We tried to tick as many credentials as we could Yeah, and did both single and double portions. So if there was two people eating, you had a bigger meal. If it was just one person, you'd have a smaller one. Yep. And and yeah, we, we brought people along for the journey. So when we actually hit Go Live, uh, which was in November in 2018, I think we... I cooked about 300 meals. They were in the freezer ready to go. I'd, I'd done the different nine nine meals or something. So it's about 50 of each or whatever the maths is. Uh, yep. And I was like, cool, I've got some stock. We've got a newsletter. We were doing 
send outs, whatever. And we just decided 9.30 at night on a random Wednesday, should we, should we just do it on the drive home? So literally hit send on this newsletter. And within the first, well, by midnight, we'd had 30 orders and it was a whirlwind from there. I mean, the next day I was calling the supplier going, how many ice packs go in a box? Like, how do I pack it? Like, what am I doing? What time yeah. is DPD coming? How? It was, it was that moment of I called my friend and I was like, Matt, I need you here right now. I'm drowning in all these orders. I have no idea what I'm doing. Um, and I, I haven't let him forget, but he packed some orders wrong. I think it was about three orders that had two of the wrong meal or something. But yeah, I mean, all the customers were great. And the, the feedback instantly was like, this is as fantastic. They're healthy. They're delicious. I love the fact they're recyclable. So it was a really, really nice feeling to go. I put so much time and effort into it and people really appreciate it. But wow, I need to refine this model because I can't be doing this many orders and losing yeah. all this stock straight away because everything sold out. And I was like, um, I'm going to have to stagger days of delivery because it's just me doing it. That sounds like kind of a good problem to have. Yeah, to a point. It's great. It's uh, Even with what I'm doing now, it's great when you get sales. But if you can't get the product to a customer, then <laughs> it doesn't work. No. So having to, to grow, which is partly why the reason the business didn't keep going, we, with ready meal businesses, all these kind of models, direct to consumer, it's all about customer growth and customer acquisition. Yeah. So brands, brands like all plants are great at this. They had a subscription model in place. They were heavily marketing and advertising um, differences. They had, I think at the time they'd, they'd just done a massive funding raise of like 800,000 pound. And we were starting with this loan of 25,000 or 15,000 at the time. So they were then advertising and, and getting new customers. And I was like, well, I'm just going to have to grow locally and small and word of mouth. And yeah. after a year or so of trading, what were we in? So 2019 kind of got through that year going into 2020. It was like, great, let's do a crowdfund. People have said they love it. They want more. Maybe if we get them in, in, involved, we can get them to support it. Champion. Um, yep, yep. And we had about 60 K on the table through friends, family, the network, so it's all looking really positive, like, wow, like we can really grow and upscale. I can bring in a second chef. We can do some marketing. We can get better equipment to do batch cooking easier. Yeah. And March 2020, COVID hit. Oh. So we, we were a, a COVID loss, sadly. So we had the crowdfund literally ready to go middle of March, something like that. And this COVID thing was going on. The the UK was kind of, oh, what, what's happening here? Let's just rein things back. And we were like, let's give it two weeks and then put the crowdfund live. But as soon as things obviously started getting worse, we didn't feel comfortable asking people for their money when no one knew if their job was safe, no one knew if their yeah, family yeah. was safe. Like, people didn't want to invest as much and I didn't feel right going, oh, I'll still take it because it's just, for me, that was a, a real concern because no one knew what was going on. Uh, do you know, I didn't realise that. I so would it be fair to say then if COVID hadn't come round, you think it had kind of gone from strength to strength? It's hard to say. Like for me, I, I believe like I'm a really, really strong believer. Everything happens for a reason, okay. whether it's good or bad, you can learn, learn from anything. And the, the fact that we didn't get the funding and when COVID hit, we pivoted and we added veg boxes. So suddenly we went from what we were making, say, in a month to making every week because people were ordering through the website. They were going, actually, I'll get a couple of meals for when I can't be bothered to cook, but I'll also yeah. order this veg box that we put together. So we had a really, really good kind of couple of months, just craziness. I was working 
I think from getting into the kitchen 6am, doing probably 150 to 200 meals, cooking and ready, shipping them out, doing local deliveries in the evenings with the veg boxes or people that wanted to order less than the amount because with economies of scale, we had to put a minimum order on delivery included. So I was like, but if you, if you live local and you want a couple of meals or want a veg box, just drop me a message and I can deliver it to you. So I was doing that for pretty much two months and yeah, what, 18, 19, 20 hour days and loving every moment because it's your business. But at the same time, you're going, this isn't sustainable and I can't keep up. Mm. And I think the other thing was then other businesses came online. Um, So during COVID, obviously everyone started getting used to online delivery, whether that's food, drink, whatever. So I think that's when restaurants, other brands capitalized on it and the market just boomed. So I think as much as we had a good moment then it was really up and down and we had one final chance of crowdfunding it was called big idea ventures it's a big accelerator course in the asia pacific region okay they invest into plant-based businesses and we got down to the final 15 or whatever the selection was and because if if it had if we'd been successful it would have been going out to singapore for three months to do a deep dive essentially uh, get everything streamlined so you could outsource it, upscale production, you've got investment with it, you've got all this added expertise. And we thought, well, if that happens, we're going to have a load of stock, stock sat there and, and not shipping. We're running low on the boxes, we're running low on the packaging. Let's just let it kind of dwindle down and see what happens. Um, yeah. And it was supposed to be De- December in 21, we were supposed to, no, 2020, we were supposed to find out. And then got pushed, got pushed, and then it was middle of January. So for January, I wasn't doing any promotions. I was like, really sorry, guys, we're out of stock. And then we found out it was like that that moment of, will it happen, won't it happen? Um, and because of the time difference, I remember we had to do the presentation at like 4.30 a.m. or 5 a.m. Um, to, to keep nice. in line with their time. And they were like, really sorry, you haven't been successful. And ironically, their, their feedback was, if you can create something like a plant-based meat, then maybe we'll look at investing, but it's, it's too hard to have intellectual property around a whole food plant-based meal. Yeah. And obviously now I work for a plant-based meat company. So it's like, <laughs> it's kind of come full circle, but yeah, it was, it was that moment of, Oh, we haven't made it. You sound, I mean, listening to you talk, there's a lot of entrepreneurs out there who probably don't make it right. I mean, the statistics back that up. I, I don't even know what it is these days, but you're more likely not to make it as an entrepreneur, but it's very rare that you see or hear on social media or in the press when people's businesses don't make it for whatever reason. It's kind of refreshing to hear you talk about it so openly. And so, yeah, so openly, I guess. Yeah. And I think that's for me, I was saying before we jumped on, um, one of the the big things with what I do in my content on LinkedIn is sharing the highs and the lows because yeah, even when we were doing Mitch's Kitchen and we were maybe, I don't know, making £500 in a month, all your friends are going, oh, how's business? And you're like, oh, yeah, it's amazing. It's going really well. And you're like, yeah, oh, yeah, I'm not, yeah. like, I've got credit cards racking up. I've got all these bills I'm not paying. You have all these worries, but you want to almost like keep believing so much in it, but to the point that it's not a healthy thing. Like now now I'm in a place where I'm, I'm, I've got a salary. I'm, I work for a company I love. All these things where... I appreciate even more what we went through, but at the same time, I know there's there's people out there with everything that's going on. Like we we go through COVID, then there's suddenly a war, then there's a cost of living crisis. Like it's just yeah. so tough for businesses out there right now. So that's why also, like you said, with the timing, 
I feel like it was almost a blessing in disguise that we didn't get the investment and we did close down because I've seen so many other similar brands way bigger and, and better than I ever got to now closing their doors. Um, so I feel like it was perfect timing for me because we didn't have too much to, to lose, if that makes sense. We, yeah. we ended up selling our house, settling all our debts, getting back to completely zero, debt-free, living with my mum for nearly a year um, while I did window cleaning for my friends, window cleaning company and all this. But again, staying positive the whole time going, look, we've cleared our debts. It's happened. We, we took a gamble. It, like It's not the end of the world. We can move forward from this. I mean, you sound very pragmatic about it. I mean, was it like that in the during the time of it? It kind it almost started as a joke. Like we we finished that call at what four thirty five a.m. Went yeah. back into bed and we're laying there, just like wow. I, I was kind of you know when you're you're blindly confident. You're like we're going to get this. It's so like it's, <laughs> it's everything's lined up. We're we're one hundred percent getting this investment and it's going to change our lives. To then yeah. go oh we hadn't really thought if it was a no <laughs> what the next step is. And we we were laying there and I was like well. I guess we sell the house, kind of joking. And then my wife, Shreem, was like, yeah, actually, it does make sense. So we very quickly were like, well, we've got equity in the house. We've got all this. Like, did kind of play the maths and we're like, it's not the end of the world. Like, we, we loved our house at the time. But again, it was our first house together. And, and we weren't, I don't know, it, we always knew we were going to move on to a, a bigger, better house at some stage. So it, we, it was just kind of a, yeah, I guess this is just the next stage in our journey. Was was your wife involved in the company with you? So she, when I first started in November, um, it was just me. So that's 2018. And I think it was February um, in 2020, she came full time as well. But okay. after something like, I think we were kind of doing it full time for about four months together. Right. But realizing we weren't, we weren't making enough money to to support the two of us without a second income. So she went back to working full time uh, and mm-hmm. then it was me running the day to day, but she would help with um, a lot to do with kind of the admin, the finances, the the operations, the costings, like a lot of, a lot of the stuff that I technically didn't have time to do during the days because I was busy cooking, shipping, marketing, everything <laughs> else. <laughs> so she was kind of a, doing her full time job and helping with the business while I was just full on working the business. And yeah, I think that that was another thing why, I guess why things we look back and go, wow, when we launched, we wanted to be organic. So we were buying organic ingredients. And then we, as soon as we switched to non-organic, because we asked our customers and they were like, no, I'd rather it's just like either like local fruit and veg or um, you keep the price lower or or something. And we suddenly realized, wow, there is a 30, 40% upmark on organic that we've just spent the first few months burning cash as well Mm -hmm. as paying enough to support our home and everything. So yeah, there, there was things when you look back and you go, okay, that's definitely how I would have done it slightly different. Did you have kids? No, no. Still, okay. We still haven't got kids. We're planning in the next year or two. Um, but it's, yeah, luckily we didn't have that added into the mix of everything else that was going on. Yeah. How is how's it working with your wife? Good. Yeah. I mean, we've, we've been together since school. So I was 17, she was 16. So that's okay. now 16 years as of this year. Okay. It did did take me nine years to propose, so uh, we we always knew we were going to get married. But um, yeah, it's still an ongoing joke now. If if my friends have been together similar time, like maybe five years, six years, and everyone's like, "Oh, you're going to get married," I'm like, "No, don't worry, mate. You got you got till nine years." <laughs> you're you're the benchmark. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, so 
where and so now you're working for a Spanish company you said that does plant-based yeah. stuff and they're what they, they launched in Spain and now launching in the UK is that correct so yeah so it's a, a plant-based meat company uh, we call ourselves meat successors not alternatives because we okay. want to be that healthy next stage of meat so yeah. every everything we do it, it's high protein it's made very, using very few ingredients we use olive oil as the fat source so again in terms of nutrition and, and fats it's really good fats and good for me is it's also all gluten-free so it, it ticks a lot of boxes but they are you gluten in... intolerant are you so Shirin is celiac um, and then I as we've been together so long I've kind of cut out my diet for so long when I have it right. I feel it so I've, I've probably been gluten-free about 10 years now as well um, but I have odd bits here and there but it's not part of my diet like I think being gluten-free is just as easy because it's cooking for the two of us yeah 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 but you also didn't, yeah. uh, I kind of interrupted you earlier, I think, when you'd source about you going vegan. Yes. And you've been, you went 2016, you said you went vegan. Have you been vegan ever since? Yeah, so I, I did uh, Veganuary in 2016 to tie in with the, the restaurant going vegan. And right. Shirin was kind of leaning towards going vegan in August the year before. So I was already cooking vegan food for her. Then I'd cook, I was doing recipe videos for like muscle food and my protein and, and other stuff. So I was having like, my meat or what I considered my protein yeah. um, from traditional sources. Uh, and then when the restaurant went vegan and I did veganuary, it was suddenly, oh, this is really easy. I feel really good. Uh, and I unintentionally lost about a stone in January because I wasn't eating enough. So I suddenly yeah. went, oh, wow, you, uh, you can eat a lot more volume because if you're eating mainly whole foods, um, it's more voluminous and less calories because there's more fiber, there's other things in there. But yeah. nowadays, I think, if you're following a vegan diet, it can be very different because you've got a milk plant, you've got a vegan yeah. Greg sausage roll, you, anything and everything is very easy to get hold of, not necessarily healthy, but the options are there, which is obviously amazing to see how the market's changed. Yeah, it is. Weirdly, we went vegan, my wife and I went vegan in 20... We went to the Maldives on holiday and we've been talking about it and we, we did the typical thing where we were watching that that documentary on netflix which name escapes me now it's a conspiracy no it's the other one same oh. the same guys but they did the other one uh is it game changers i was i have watched game changers but that wasn't oh what was it called I'm trying to think of it trying to think of the, the big ones what the health or something no what the oh yeah yeah no. what the health and because we were in the maldives which is predominantly a muslim country like there was a lot of it was very easy so we just thought we had this like brainwave we thought we'd try it for a couple of weeks while we were out there and actually really enjoyed it and actually stayed vegan for i don't know like a year and a half after that and i don't quite know now i'm thinking about it i can't quite put my finger on actually why we stopped but she my wife still doesn't have a lot of dairy so her, i don't have milk in my coffee but she still has like um soya milk and it was amazing. We both assumed it'd be really difficult to do. And even back in 20, sort of 16, 2017, there was so many options for alternatives or for you know, whatever. And it's only like, I guess now, I mean, you'll, you'll probably confirm this like with obviously what you're doing, but it's just getting more and more and more where it's like literally a piece of cake, right? You could just, not buy anything and there's a replacement or an alternative or whatever for 
anything. I'm not saying it's necessarily a good thing or a bad thing, but there is it's very easy to do these days, right? Yeah, honestly, like I think now we're in 2023, you've got anything and everything has been and will be made vegan from baby bells to, I don't know, milks, ice creams, cheese, meat, anything. Mm -hmm. It's it's very easy to do, um, but sometimes there's a bit of pushback from almost like the old school vegans that were like, it it should be focusing on, what's the phrase? It's like, uh, eat plants often as possible in small amounts or something like that. Like there's, there's a phrase, not quite like that, but it's, it's similar. Yeah, um, yeah, but I essentially know. saying we need to be focusing on whole food plant-based. So a lot of the stuff that we will have, it'll be lots of fruits and vegetables. You use lentils or chickpeas or um, different things. And then occasionally, yes, we'll, we'll have a plant-based meat. Um, luckily, I know the ones that, that we produce are very healthy. So I'm, I feel great having them. Um, yeah. But sometimes it is like, actually, I want to have a, a dirty burger when I'm out and about. And if they can do it in a gluten-free bun, great. Otherwise, I'll just have it without. But it's it, i think the the part that i try and show to restaurants and places who kind of still go oh veganism is not that popular my argument is always okay take take that out of the context if i'm the vegan gluten-free awkward person in a group and i'm with eight of my mates we're gonna go where i can eat something yeah. i'm not gonna go well we're gonna go to a steakhouse we're gonna go there because if i can't eat there there's no point in us going out for dinner i'll just yes. go well okay I'll, I'll eat at home and then come and meet you whereas if we can go somewhere that has an option or a couple of good options, then we're more likely to go there and spend the eight people's money. Yeah. So I try and pitch that. So when I'm speaking to a restaurant, be like, don't underestimate the power of the one awkward person in the group, whether that is gluten, whether that is vegan, if it's both, then even more awkward, which I know yeah. firsthand, but it, even that's becoming so much easier. So is that what your job's doing entailing these days is going out, trying to get your brand into restaurants, into supermarkets, wherever because i saw i mean i was joking with you on linkedin the other day like you were doing a lot of stuff over january presumably for veganuary as a like a kind of cross promotion but is that what you're doing is just trying to get it out the product out there yeah uh, essentially we're we're trying to grow within the uk um i'm very confident we have some of the best products on the market so mm-hmm. for me it's not even like a hard sell when people try it they go wow this is amazing and then you kind of go look at the ingredients look at the nutrition look at how easy yeah. it is to use but yeah, a lot of my role. So this veganuary, I went to various offices, universities. So I did um, like the Disney offices, Selfridges. I was at Oxford Uni, Cambridge Uni, all over, as well as doing pitches for kind of like big pizza brands or big cafe brands, trying to, again, show how by adding our products, we can bring our customers to them, how it obviously gives you something that's delicious and slightly different to what everyone else is offering. Mm. And from from my aspect is if I can suggest things that are then gluten-free, it's pushing that because I'm like, look, I know how hard it is to to eat these things when I'm out and about. So if you have an option, then I'm always going to be coming to you. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of complex. I hadn't really thought about it that much, but do I I remember seeing you're in Waitrose now? Yes. Yes. That was kind of our big uh, retail launch this year. So it's in something like 200 odd Waitrose stores up and down the country. And that's with our, like Mediterranean chicken pieces, our chorizo sausages, and we do like a chorizo burger. Yeah. So yeah, that's that's a obviously it's a great listing, really good in terms of proposition. We're doing something that's high quality and being associated with somewhere like Waitrose is the same why with food service. The fact that we we launched into Leon last summer, we've been 
used by Dishoom for two Christmases. Mindful Chef have just launched us in January and we're the first plant-based meat that they've ever worked with because it's so hard to tick all these boxes from an ethical yeah. sourcing, nutrition, quality, like all those things. So for me, like that, that's why it's so easy to believe in it and come across like it's my company because I think what we're offering is so unique and delicious that more people should be having it. Is there, I don't know if you're allowed to say or not, but are there any more supermarkets lined up? There's one we're working on, one of the big ones. It's like cat and mouse at the moment. They they keep launching new products, and if they're not doing well, then they're, they're reluctant to launch more. So yeah. we have to kind of prove why we need to be there. So that's what a lot of January was about, a lot of what is kind of coming up is about. It's proving that people know us, people are asking for us, people want, want this kind of product as part of the offering. But uh... it's very hard because the market's got so competitive now. Every, like every supermarket has an own brand version of burgers, sausages, chicken or, or something. So yeah. then you're competing on price during a cost of living crisis with brands from all over different countries trying to do exactly the same, come in and show why they should be buying their products instead of yours. So there's a, a big web of what it takes to actually get a listing. Um, I mean, these conversations have been going for at least a year now, um, if not longer. Is, is it as tough as I imagine it is to get into a supermarket? Yeah, and even even getting in is not it's not a done deal. Then even with Waitrose, you have to be making sure you're marketing, driving sales. They they expect a certain rate of sale uh, rate of sale per store per week. So you have to make sure. Okay, how can we keep promoting it? How can we shout about it? And make sure people are going and buying it. What yeah. promotions can you do in store online? Like, it's there's so many metrics to the success of a brand that I think unless you're in this industry, you just kind of go, oh look, it's here, <laughs> and what it's taken to get it to that stage. I never long. really thought about it like that. So basically, they're selling it and making profit on it, but you're the one who's got to do the promotion to drive that brand awareness and, and the rest of it. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're, they're laughing because they've got the commodities. They've got the footfall yeah. who are going to come to them week in, week out. So what they offer has to appeal and yeah. they have to make money on. So like, it's always a losing losing battle for a brand unless you're doing something truly unique and truly different. But as much as I sing the praise of what we do, ultimately vegan burgers, vegan nuggets, vegan sausages and things already exist. And they've already got a version of that. Um, No, no questions on the quality or ingredients or nutrition, but they've, they've got an offering and to them, to a buyer, it doesn't really matter that side of things, but we have to fight the case as to why we deserve to be there. It's it's, it's a, it's a fascinating subject. (laughs) <laughs> probably talk about it for hours but we'll move on to the next question about if you weren't doing what you're doing and fighting the good fight for meat alternatives or no we say meat successes what it's would you money. be doing if money was no object what would you be doing it's a really hard question for me because i think it has to do something with my beliefs and my passions um the fact that i get to tie that into what i do day in day out is great for me i've always said that I don't think Mitch's Kitchen will be the last business I've ever founded or been part of. Um, I would love to to help brands who are starting out or get to the stage that I could be an advisor, a like non-executive director or co-founder or something in brands that I go, oh, actually, that is doing something really different because that, yeah. that startup world, is, as tough as it is, I think if you've got that nest egg of going, okay, it doesn't matter so much if it doesn't work out for this time because I've, I've got savings or i've got whatever else yeah then it's not as much as a i don't know your life doesn't depend on it as much but at the same time you still want it to succeed because 
I think that's it why you, I work you a so bit hard. Of freedom, with... doesn't it? Yeah, like I, I see kind of people in my network who have had a very successful business and now they invest into different pots and you see what they're doing. And I'm like, I'd love to get to that stage. Mm. So I think long-term that would definitely be in my goal. I'd love to get into investing and into supporting other brands and and people upcoming, but even just like from a mentoring side, uh, there's, there's things that I guess I kind of do with my LinkedIn and content, not saying like, Hey, look, I know everything. I'm like, here's, here's what I've learned through these experiences. If you get something from it, great, but don't make the same mistakes I did. I suppose that's a good foundation you're building for when you want to be that non-exec director, that consultant, whatever, right? You sort of build, you're building your audience now with that in mind, or is that not quite accurate? I guess kind of. I think the the personal brand, like I've heard you talk about it or various guests talk about personal brand and things on LinkedIn, it's become a bit of a double-edged sword now because if you go too hard on the personal brand, I am a brand thing, then yeah. people just start to get turned off. But ultimately with a lot of sales, it is all about relationships. So for yeah. me, I always try and whoever we're working with, I want them to know they can pick up the phone and speak to me and I'm, I'm on their side. Um, so it's, it's really important that within my network, it's the same feeling, whether that is competitive brands. Like we, as a company, we have a, a thing called partners in mission rather than competitors. So mm-hmm. even though, there's all these other brands fighting for the same shelf space. We're all fighting the same cause, which is removing animal protein from the general um, food industry. So if another brand wins and gets that space and it's a good quality, giving people the experience and they go, wow, that's really good. Then great. I think my, my main issue is when it's, it's a a cheaper, poor quality version that they go, ah, it's a vegan chicken, but it's terrible. I'm, I'm going to keep eating regular chicken rather than yeah. seeing what it could be. And I think that's where it gets frustrating. Yeah. Do you know, it's interesting you raise that personal brand side of things because you're right. I've spoken to a few guests on here who the ones who seem to be doing it really well or being the most successful at it are actually the ones who haven't really tried to do it and have actually just been themselves and been passionate and it hasn't been that contrived kind of this is what I'm trying to achieve. There's a couple and I've had actually personal brands. I don't know what you call her. Her, her, her company is all about building personal brands. And she would say, you know, you've got to do this, this and this. But it definitely seems like the people who are being the most successful at it are doing it in a bit of an organic way. And they're not really trying. I don't know if that makes sense, but it's, it's definitely yeah. what it comes across no, I think- as. For me, I, I kind of fell into it. Like when when I closed the business, I didn't want to be on Instagram because I thought, well, my whole Instagram and everything was around Mitch's Kitchen, which is closing down. And it's almost like a that feeling of almost like shame and failure and going, oh, I don't feel comfortable still being on there trying to do things. So yeah. I kind of moved over to LinkedIn to explore opportunities and see what was out there. And in, in doing that, just started going, actually, I'm just going to be open. Like, this is how I'm feeling. This is what I'm doing. This is the kind of things that I'm passionate about. And in doing so, it's just rolled and rolled and, and grown and grown. So my network is now fantastic in terms of within the industry. Uh, we did a show called Plant-Based World at the end of last year. Mm-hmm. And the amount of other brands, founders, people that came up to me or my colleagues going, oh, Mitch's LinkedIn's great. Or I see Mitch, Mitch all the time and you guys are doing this thing. And it's it becomes almost like the go-to voice of what Aura is doing in the UK, just yeah. because of how much I talk about and promote it, but tied in with storytelling, not just 
hey, look, we're in Waitrose, go and buy it here. It's like, <laughs> oh, this is why I'm, I'm really proud. Like, we did a demo, blah, blah, blah. Like, there's, there's stories you can tell around it rather than just hitting it. Like, I think the, the grubby meal kit one was a great example. I don't know if you saw that post, but no. the, the clickbait title at the top was, I kidnapped the founder of Grubby to get listed because basically there was a, a random event nearby called Ideas Fest. It was literally um, Stephen Bartlett was there. Um, you had John Stapleton from Common Garden Soups. You had the guy from Carphone Warehouse. Like all these big entrepreneurs who had have done amazing things. Yeah. Literally in a field five minutes up the road from my house. Oh, that was so. Oh, what, what's the lady's name who found that? I'm connected with her on LinkedIn. French, yeah, Francesca. Yeah, she does, she's a great um, British entrepreneurs or something, doesn't she as well? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So they 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 piggybacked it onto Wickham Festival, um, which was genius. And it was, I think, because it was the first time, because it was just everyone just wandering around in a big field and really open. Um, I ended up hanging out with. Yeah, the founder of Grubby, the founder of um, Kalenio, which is like alcohol-free spirit, Roger from Box Park. Um, and then we end up at an after party with Michael Acton Smith, the guy who founded Calm. So nice. it's like, and then, oh, to, to finish the Grubby story, uh, Martin's Hotel essentially was already closed because by the time the party had finished, it was all wrapped up or whatever. So I was like, well, I've got a sofa, you can come and crash here. So both Martin and a guy called Jag, who has peanut butter buttons um superfoodio the two of them ended up staying like <laughs> floor and bed or whatever so yeah it was, it was hilarious but i'm like i just love those, those kind of things and, and that's just through linkedin and through this network which is just growing and, and just saying yes to things it's mad isn't it how did you actually end up with the, the job you got now so there's a there's a brand called vevolution that used to do a lot of vegan events and then they pivoted during covid to do uh, essentially like a, a jobs board slash pitching deck slash like funding area. So okay. as a brand, you could list list your brand and say, I'm looking for funding. Here's my pitch deck. And as an investor, you can go, I want to invest in plant-based meats, pet food and beauty products, like whatever else. And you can kind of make that connection. So because I was like, well, I definitely want to work for like a vegan company or someone similar. I found a, the job on their jobs board just thought well i've never heard of the brand have no idea how to say it um i actually spelt the brand name wrong on my application letter nice so midway through the interview i was like i'm really sorry i've just realized i've did a spelling error like i put the hate the e and the u the wrong way around which i'd say probably a good 60 percent of people do like when they're saying the name or like yeah. writing it even but yeah i found found this role thought i don't know what where my strengths lie because I've gone from doing everything as a founder um, to going, okay, what, what could I do? And this role was as a community builder. So the idea was, was growing awareness, doing events, getting samples out, spreading kind of news of the brand in the UK. And I thought, well, I built my brand up for nothing. I got to something like 8,000 followers, but I was pretty happy with the small scale success we had. And first interview um the lady i know her um she she was absolutely amazing i was like oh she's really friendly like i've got a good feeling about this and then my my second interview was with bernat who's one of the co-founders and a a couple of other people Mm. and i just remember coming off a call being like there's something about this i really want to work with these people yeah so i think i had one more like follow-up interview where we had to kind of put together a, a plan of who we'd work with, how we'd activate, what kind of events we do, like whatever else, and kind of pitch that idea. Yeah. And 
it was quite interesting. I came across that the other day and I think the majority of the influencers and people I said we wanted to work with, we've done something with like each one of them. Right. And one of them was actually, well, two of them. In fact, it was the guys from Bosch. So Bosch were early pioneers within the vegan recipe scene. They've got about six cookbooks now. Yeah. And we, we actually launched the Teresa burgers with them onto Ocado last year. And that's what helped okay. us get the listing by doing it as a co-branded product. So yeah, now Henry and Ian, are, they're, they're great. I see them a lot. I'm actually doing another show in a couple of months um, called Fully Charged, I think it is. Um, it's okay. like a electric car and electric um, show, but they're doing the zero carbon kitchen where they're powering all the electric things through um, a car battery. Oh, nice. So I was just uh, talking sort of lower emissions. That's where plant-based food also is a big benefit with what you're looking at. Um, it's by reducing your animal protein or your animal ingredients list and talking yeah. to plant-based you save a lot of carbon land resource so it's obviously better for the environment which is another good selling point interestingly okay i'm going to change that i was going to ask you a different question but now you've said that i've kind of you've kind of led me that far like i keep and this isn't me having a dig at vegan i i'm not bright enough to know but one of the anti-vegan stuff that gets put out there quite a lot is the fact that it's not actually as environmentally friendly as people believe. Is that just naysayers? Is that accurate? Is it like, what's what's the story there? So first thing is a, a lot of the, the big headlines and the big statements you see, like Bloomberg did one saying, has the, has the plant-based um, bubble fad burst? And it's talking about Beyond Meat and their share price is tanking. Um, and then what are the other ones? There's, there's quite a few around that. Like people will say, oh, soy, soy causes deforestation, like vegans are killing the planet and, or, oh, but you eat avocados, they're coming from Spain or Mexico, but they've got to fly here and do this. Um, so you've just said, you've just said the main, main, um, (laughs) like, I guess, what do you say? The main, the three main stories that I was kind of alluding to, I suppose. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's the common arguments, like, and the ones that I'm always like, okay, guys, let me let me explain this to you. So we, we do a lot with, um, well, as a brand in terms of the education side. So something when, when you look at soy and deforestation, something like 80, 90% of soy that's harvested is for animal feed and stuff to do within the animal and like agriculture world. I okay. think a, such a small percentage, like 6% of harvested soy is actually used to make tofu, tempeh, plant-based meat, like in that form the rest could be oils or byproducts or other things so that's interesting that side in terms in terms of the deforestation it's also a lot of us like so when we source our soy we'll make sure it's an an ethically sourced soy we know the people i think we've been working with the same the same people for now six years since the brand's been going and it's, it's all these considerations but again even when it comes to shipping that soy so say it's it's harvested somewhere in europe and then it has to go to spain to be made into these meats then actually that movement is still way less environmental impact than it would take to raise one cow to make a steak. Because although, yes, the, the cow could be eating just grass, fine, whatever, mm. you, you're still then having to use loads of water to keep it watered. Like there's, there's a lot that goes into the emissions then for transporting that meat, preparing it. It's, it's the, the breakdown when you look at it, we, we've got things of saying, actually, even if you're flying soy from china to the uk that's going to have less impact than buying meat from your supermarket okay interesting yeah i couldn't help that like it's just it's something you hear quite a lot and it's 
I'm also well conscious and aware that a lot of these headlines are funded and, you know, there's, the, what's it called, uh, experiments and stuff, studies that are funded by non-vegan friendly brands and that, and I get it, and I know all about the lobbying and the rest. Of it. It's just, it's an interesting, I wondered how you approach that because those anecdotes are the ones that seem to come up every time that vegans even mentioned. Yeah, I think that for me, it's always like, okay, take the headline with a pinch of salt. There may be some truth to part of it. Like yeah. if they're like, oh, look, suddenly red meat's amazing for you. Great. How many people are in the study? Who's who's funded the study? Like, where's that come from? It, mm. As soon as you kind of unlock these things, like there's, there's been an ongoing thing with eggs for the last 20 years. It's like eggs are good for you. Eggs are bad for you. Eggs are good. <laughs> eggs are bad. So like you can find anything to support your narrative. And I think that's what it comes down to. Um, yeah. It's knowing as many facts as possible so that when these arguments come up, you can fight back against it. Um, but ultimately like it, people have to do their own research because they can hear one thing from a friend and go, Oh yeah. And take it as gospel. Or some random person on Twitter. And it's just like, you know, <laughs> a throwaway comment, right? Yeah. Okay. Let's move on. Tell me something about you that not many people know. I'm trying to think of a, a good one. I mean, is this a tough question? I think, yeah, I think, well, it depends in, I mean, I, I, anyone listening to this, probably from your network won't have a clue who I am. So, I mean, there's, there's lots we can go into here, yeah. but uh, I guess one of the, the fun ones were, well, there's a couple. Firstly, I, I used to do free running professionally. So okay. you know, parkour free running. Did you? Um, okay. I used to co- coach, perform, did some like small scale stunt doubling stuff and, one of the one of the jobs I had actually was going to places like Dubai to do um, essentially big airbag shows. So we have a, a seven meter platform and a ten meter platform, and we'd be doing as many somersaults as we could into these bags as a show. I mean, you've kind of just trumped all previous answers of telling me something about you. <laughs> maybe we know. What, what were you so, doing stunt doubling in? That's kind of where I went going with that one. So. With the same company that I did the the bag jump stuff with, we did the launch of the 2015 Mustang, I think it was. So to do the launch, they essentially took apart a Mustang and piece by piece built it together on one of the highest floors in the Burj Khalifa in Dubai. Yeah. And part part of the the launch video is they did it Mission Impossible style. So they had like a a phone call ringing and they're like, hey, we need you to get here as soon as possible. And then there was like cut scenes between rock climbing in the mountains to jumping on a horse to coming out of a helicopter and abseiling down the side of a building. Um, and essentially between me and my friend Spencer, we got to play different parts in this, um, this campaign. So I got to go out to Arizona and do like abseiling and rock climbing there. Um, I went to the, the Ford factory and I had to kind of ride a horse a little bit. Um, so, I mean, yeah, uh, basically we were, we were stunt doubling Hendy Ford um, or Hendy Ford Jr. So he's the, the son of, original mr ford oh my god <laughs> i'll find i'll find the link i'll send you it <laughs> yeah man that'd be uh that'd be cool so how, so you obviously knew what you're doing in the world of parkour how come that's not sort of you still do it is it was it ever going to become more than a hobby or or what so i'd always been doing it alongside the food stuff like right. it was almost hand in hand like i was overweight as a kid found free running started eating better training so both the food and the exercise hand in hand kind of made me who I am now so both of them kind of were side by side so I'd be doing my free running then I'm like I want something that's 
high protein, healthy and low fat. So I'm going to make some protein brownies. So I do that and then post a photo thing of it on Instagram and everyone's like, oh, what's the recipe? So then <laughs> start doing that more. And then that side essentially started paying the bills a bit more because the free running stuff was so infrequent. Yeah. So yeah, like I, for a couple of years, I did a mix of that along with um, some extras work. So I was in an extra in like Guardians of the Galaxy and a couple of other films where you just basically run around in the background but doing a, a real mishmash of stuff because you're what well, I can't remember what I'm 19, 20, 21, yeah. like that kind of age where it's like, you can get away with just finding your feet and doing a bit of everything. As long as you're paying your phone contract and rent or whatever else you need to be paying at the time. Yeah. So yeah, essentially the, the food stuff was taken off more. And then when I got the opportunity to do the like work in the restaurant, the free running kind of like had to calm down because I had a, a regular paycheck. Yeah. So that kind of took precedence and then it just snowballed from there because that then became my life because I was like throwing myself fully into it since going vegan. I got more creative as a chef and I love to cook even more. And I was suddenly going, wow, this is great fun. Like, why don't we do this and do this? And yeah. And then that became the world. So I, I can still do a backflip. I think I'm done. I do <laughs> a couple of random backflips every, every few months just to make sure. Um, yeah. but I haven't done one this year yet, um, but I feel like it's just in the locker. Like I, could, I can do it. <laughs> are, you, are you still doing the food blogging stuff? No. So that basically just completely stopped when I started working in the restaurant. When I was doing what I would kind of have been doing on my Instagram, I was just sharing the cakes that we'd make in the store or what we were making dish-wise. So I kind of do look back and go, oh, that's a shame I did stop that because especially nowadays I've got – so many friends who are like full-time influencers who doing these amazing brand campaigns and I'm looking at their recipes going, I literally made stuff like this like 10 years ago. Like, Oh, back, back in my day, it you was could, so blah, blah. You could like, start it up again. Couldn't you? I could, but that requires time. And, uh, as you saw from my January time is very precious. Um, yeah, but I'm assuming January is probably the busiest month of the year for you. Pretty much. Yeah. I think it was, um, Olivia from planted. Who's like a, one of our partners of mission. She was like, it's like, Christmas, Easter, Hanukkah, birthdays, like yeah. everything thrown into one month. Um, and I was like, yeah, basically, yeah, you're just saying yes to everything. Yeah. Oh, I keep my eye out for when I, when you sort of start doing it, be the new TikTok foodie or something, free running foodie. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's what I was pretty much trying to push myself as for a while, like doing it side by side. But yeah, I had, I had concepts of like recipe content going, oh, wouldn't it be amazing to just have a backpack of stuff that I can then, make a recipe like on a rooftop or like do a podcast, call it recipes on a rooftop, bring someone along with me and we could do this. And I was like, Oh, it'd be a really like fun idea, but just never, never went with it. So anyone listening who wants to make it happen, let's, let's do it. That does sound like a good idea. I can see you building quite an audience with that actually. Tell me about one of the most pivotal moments in your life. Obviously the, the business closing was quite a pivotal moment that that felt like a real rock bottom to then, getting to where I am now I think going off the back of Veganuary I've kind of had a bit of a a moment last week a week before last where I essentially had the closest to burnout or like a breakdown I've ever had where I've been back to back with all these demos was doing absolutely everything I could to say yes to everything um like I said the the caliber of clients people I was working with just kept getting better and better and I was like yes 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 yeah Trim, Trim's going, am I ever going to see you? Like, you're always working, you're always doing this. So it's, it's getting to those kind of conversations. And 
I basically, I, I was at Oxford Union the day, came home, had to prep for a really big customer demo, um, like national chain. And I'd made this pasta sauce, got to the um, train station bright and early the next day and suddenly realized I'd left this pasta sauce in the fridge. And it, it's a very simple thing. Like it's not the end of the world. It's a pasta sauce. But yeah. at that moment, I just felt like this whoosh of emotion. Like it was like a breakdown of just going, I can't believe I've forgotten something so simple. Like for me, I'm, I'm the person that will triple check everything. I'll, I'll check. I've got four alarms on in the morning. So I don't oversleep. I, I do all those kind of things. Mm. And I was just sat like panicking on this train journey going, okay, let's sort of plan B. We, we sort of plan B. It worked absolutely fine. The source was probably even better, but we had the team together that day. And I think when we were sat around, like I was trying to talk and I just had to keep fighting myself. I'm actually crying and like getting that like full emotion, just saying like, look, I'm physically exhausted. I've been given absolutely everything. And I just feel like I'm not, I'm not giving myself a break or not being recognized for the amount of work I'm doing. Yeah. Something needs to change. So I've kind of, I've, I've spoken up since then. So thing, things are in, in motion. Like we're, we're already doing company reviews and whatever, but I think it was just the moment of me going, actually, you can't go full steam ahead all the time. Like you need to prioritize things like family life, like breaks, like having a day off every now and then or saying no. And I think that's, yeah. that's the biggest pivotal moment for me is learning when to say no. It, it sort of seems to me, and this is obviously looking from the outside in, you're kind of almost doing what you're doing for this brand like it's your own brand, like it's your own company, sorry. Yeah. And I guess uh, ordinarily, most people would not work as hard for someone else as they would for themselves. But it seems that's not the case for you. And I'm kind of just tr trying to work out in my head why that is or how that sort of works because do you think about that sort of stuff? Yeah. Like I said, for, for me, I was, I was having a chat with my, my dad. I'm ho hopefully seeing him this Thursday. But he does the same. And he's like, we seem to have the same work ethic. It's, it's something that my granddad was exactly the same. He, he died at the age of 92, 93. But even up until age 90, he's going to be the last person sat down. He'll see a, a wonky door and he's going to be fixing the hinge or he'll <laughs> install some lights for my mum. Like he, he was just always, um, like we called him Reg the Ledge because he would just all he would do is work. And um, I, I was like, I don't think he's probably ever had a warm cup of tea in his life. He was that kind of person. Yeah. So there's, there's something within me that goes, well, I've got a job to do. I need to give it my absolute everything. So if I, if I'm working for someone who is going to be paying me a salary, then I have to show that I like, I care and I want to succeed and I want to show what I can give. But yeah, I think it's, I've always like, like I said, with, with offbeat, it was the same. Everyone thought it was my restaurant. Um, even when I did the window cleaning for a few months, they were like, Oh, is it, is it your company? Like, even though they've been working with Chris, whose company it was for years, they're like, yeah. Oh, are you the new owner or something? Like, I think it's, it's quite a nice credit to have that kind of the way I hold myself and the way I present myself. It is caring enough of my own ability. And I think that's something that people like, even within the restaurant, for example, when we would hire, sometimes like people just didn't care. And I'm like, guys, like, I don't like, yes, you can have stuff going on in your life. I appreciate that. If you need a moment, go outside. But when you're with customers, like just be happy, like show face, like yeah, you just yeah, have yeah, to yeah. get through it. And then we can chat at the end of the day or come to me in the morning and say, look, I'm not feeling hundred percent, like whatever it is, just give yourself like go home knowing you've done everything you can to give your best. And for, for whatever reason, that's just ingrained in me. Um, 
I guess having always worked to myself and been like, well, the buck stops with me if I'm not doing it well. Yeah. When someone else is is paying you to do your job, then why wouldn't you try and do your best? I know, man. It is it's, it is a credit to you. It's almost a bit sad that it is a credit because it just it seems to be the exception be rather than the rule. <laughs> yeah, and I think yeah, like I don't I don't know what it is within me, but it's just something that I I'll happily keep doing. And I'd like to think if if I ever change role or ever works anywhere else, it would be exactly the same again because that's just what I do. Um, but mm. I think now it's, it's also knowing that is a credit and that is something that adds value. So it's knowing what my own worth and value is within that. Yeah. So, yeah, I think that's, that's now the, the stage I'm at. So like in terms of like pivotal moment and, and like that for me, that's, that's definitely it. Fair enough. Is there a tiny habit or practice that has had a positive impact on you or your work? I think, we we started trying to do the whole the whole meditation thing. I think I use that if I can't sleep. Uh, like I've got a calm subscription. I'll chuck on a, a daily calm and listen to that for ten minutes. It does definitely help. Yeah. In terms of habits and practice, I don't I don't know really. I think for me, like it's the simple things of having the ritual of making a coffee first thing in the morning. I don't think it it matters if it was caffeine or not. It's just giving yourself that time first thing in the morning to go okay. I'm going to set my alarm a little bit earlier so I can make like me and Shireen or Shireen can make the two of us coffee and we'll sit in bed and first 20 minutes, half an hour of a day, we'll just be sat in bed having yeah. a coffee. Like it's just a really like nice start to the day. Um, I'd love to say it's, it's the, the 4am gym and the ice baths and all this, but I don't, I don't do any of that. Like I, I haven't even seen the inside of a gym for a very long time. So yeah, it's, I haven't got any of those habits yet. It's funny you say that because when I, when I sort of came up with that question, half of what I was thinking was it was going to be different things. But it's getting to the stage now where I'm actually thinking about changing the question because everyone says meditation. And there's two sides to that. I'm thinking, A, I know, is it a bit boring because everyone says meditation? And B, I'm thinking, should I be meditating because everyone says meditation? Yeah. That's the, I, I was trying to like first thing in the morning going, okay, everyone says it's good and like doing the journaling and doing these things. And, and yeah, like I will journal most days now, but it's more of a like checking in with myself and checking on habits and behaviors and whatever else, like just being accountable for day to day. Yeah. But the meditation side, it's not something that I found like, oh, by doing this, I feel this. For me, it's just a, a method I'll use to get to sleep if my mind is ticking. Yeah. Have you, are you, are you one of these people with a busy mind? Not normally. Um, it depends what's going on. I definitely, if there's a pitch or presentation and I don't feel confident, then I'll do that. But yeah. I think that's the, the difference. Like I no longer have, when it was Mitch's Kitchen and I was presenting or doing things for that, I always had imposter syndrome. I'm like, it's my brand. Like, should I be on here? Should I be able to promote and talk about what I'm doing? Whereas for Aura, I'm like, well, I'm not the one that's created the product. I'm not the one that's behind the amazing R&D and why it's such a nice product. So mm. I don't feel bad saying, like singing the praise and being like, this product's amazing because it's not me that's done it. So yeah. I feel like that imposter syndrome's kind of gone a bit now to the fact that, yes, obviously I get those little butterflies before a presentation. You want it to go well. You want people to make sure they, they're engaged and switched on. But at the same time, I don't feel like, oh, I don't know what I'm talking about because I really do. Yeah. Interesting. What's it like going from having your own business to having to work for someone else again? So I think this this was actually one of my 
best performing posts on LinkedIn. And I was like, controversial opinion, working for someone else is, is way better than having your own business. Yeah. So for me, the, the stuff that gets glamorized as an entrepreneur will only apply to the people who end up actually making it. There's a lot of people who, like you said at the start, who don't mm. make it and will have kind of experienced all of this to the stress of going, why? Like, yes, I've learned stuff and it's a great experience. And I don't, I would absolutely do everything that happened again, even if it led me to where I am now, like not changing a single thing, the highs, yeah. the lows, whatever. But at the same time, if you can do like I'm doing where you have some autonomy, you have some say in where you're like, what you're doing day to day, where your role is, that, that trust from the company to go, okay, Mitch's going to do a good job. He can run with it. Yeah. then I feel like that's the best kind of employment. I feel like if it was a an office job and it was dictated and like that wouldn't work for me, but having found the right company doing the right thing, that's what I love. So for me, actually having a consistent paycheck, I've always gone, why did I always think like <laughs> scraping the barrel and chucking everything on credit card was the right move? Yeah. Well, I mean, no, you're right. right? Entrepreneurship is glamorized and everyone's, oh, you know, work for yourself and do this and that. But there's a lot to be said. Like, and the thing is, it comes back to that perspective, right? A lot of people. There's a quote I saw once that, uh, was it a paycheck is more addictive than heroin? And what they were trying to say was like, well, exactly that. And it sort of makes it puts you in this frame of mind, and you say, no, you shouldn't, you shouldn't rely on that paycheck. You should go out and forge your own way in the world. But actually, it takes a special kind of person to sort of that not worry about that sort of stuff because you know we all need money right we all need kids we've got to support our kids our families our pay our mortgages and our rents and the rest of it and it's 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 weird when people talk about entrepreneurs and actually the negative connotations behind it failing and going back to work for someone else when actually i don't know why that is yeah. And like, like I said, there's there's millions of resources on how to start a business, how to become an entrepreneur, how to do this. When we were closing the business, there was like it was so hard to find even like a glimmer of, oh, this is how you close down a business. This is how you do this. And there was no one I could really find that was talking about it. So that's yeah. partly why I've been sharing a lot of my experiences to go, like, look, this is how we've done it. If anyone's in a similar situation, drop me a message and I'll tell you how we did it. And, and those kind of things, because it's not. Yes, it's it's a failure. Like you, the business is no longer trading, it's closing down, but you haven't failed to learn. And I think that's one of the biggest things is mm. you, you, there's so much that I've taken from every single thing that we've done with the Mitch's kitchen journey, with even being in the restaurant and those kind of things, everything adds to make you who you are. And as I said earlier, like I believe everything happens for a reason and what I'm doing now, I completely feel like I'm doing the right thing. Like I found where I should be doing what I'm doing and I'm growing a great and career and following and, and, and presumably from it. you wouldn't be able to, presumably you wouldn't be able to do what you're doing now if you hadn't have been on that journey no and and that's exactly it like era took a chance on me when they employed me because again i i didn't have any experience working in a, a bigger company like at the time they were 70 people we're now at 185 something like that so it's over doubled since i've joined um and within the uk we're now still only seven people okay so to be essentially one of the first in the UK is, is something that I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm really helping make this thing happen. And I, I love being part of that. So 
yeah, I think there's there's no shame in in closing down a business. It's it's how do you move on from that? And I think that's that's the big test. It's it's very easy to go, oh, like I failed, I'm a failure. Um, so I think it, it's really important that people realise you're not a failure just if your business hasn't worked out the way you want. Take what you can from it, find the positive, and move forward. So for, from the other side, then, Hura, was it an issue for them that you? I don't want to say you had a failed business because it doesn't sound it doesn't sound nice thing to say, but was that was that? A th- I wonder if brands are hesitant to employ people who formerly work for themselves. What's your thoughts on that? So we we recently been looking for um, someone else to join the food service team, and for me, if anyone has done a part of like running their own business, working for an early stage start, that kind of stuff, I'm like they're the kind of people we need. Like I'd rather hire people who've got the get up and go and the willing to try and fail than someone who's sat in a FMCG company corporate for five, 10 years and just gone, cool, I'm happy with this one role. Like to me, that doesn't show growth. That doesn't show the flexibility, the kind of the rapid response you need to work in a startup where suddenly you're getting a customer going, my order's not turned up. And you're like, well, I've done my part. Like I'm not operations, but end of the day you're going, okay, do I, yeah. Do I need to hire a van? Like, I've, I, there's been st- stage where I'm like, look, guys, I will get a van. I will go to the like supplier. I'll get the product and I'll bring it to them if that's what needs to happen. Yeah. Um, because ultimately, I, I want this customer who I've got the relationship with to get their stuff. So yes. I think it's it was definitely a gamble on their part, and I'd like to think they've gone, oh, it has paid off. But at the same time, that I guess being a startup, they the founders themselves, they're similar age, if not, I think a couple of years younger than me. So they kind of get that idea of going, well, we didn't know what we were doing when we started. So if we can mold people and show them what we need to work with them, then great. Um, I think businesses should be looking to hire entrepreneurs or people who've done more. Did it, did it come up in the interview process? Yeah, it was, it was a big part of my CV and what I talked about. Um, Cause for, for me, I'm like, okay, where else can I show that I've like, developed things or grown things or learn experiences and with what the role was which was the community builder it's all about okay how are you getting the awareness and bringing people together and i was like that's two things that i thrive on um and i'm still doing on my linkedin yeah oh fair enough i kind of i'm glad you're kind of being quite candid and open and honest about it and i i didn't think for any reason you wouldn't but it's kind of the reason i love this podcast and the long form nature of it is it allows me dive into this stuff rather than just like you know a quick one word question on linkedin or something that just doesn't really get the because i think a lot of entrepreneurs i think it's two sides to that coin right i think a lot of entrepreneurs are nervous about maybe starting something and it failing and then where it leaves them afterwards and as a result might not launch or they might not wind it up early as they should do and then likewise there's probably people who work for brands who are thinking, oh, I don't want to employ that person because they couldn't make it work. And I think I believe incorrectly will then assume that, oh, if they can't make it work for that, then how are they going to make it work for what I need them to do? And I think it's one of those unspoken things that is in the, you know, in the startup entrepreneur world that no one really talks about. Yeah. I think just, just because someone's, done something that hasn't succeeded or has closed down doesn't mean they haven't learned and it doesn't yeah. mean they haven't got things that they can transfer into 
what well, there's a, a phrase that I think I might be jumping ahead, but it's, it's something like uh, along the lines of you, you can't, you need to learn like where to go wrong because even that is learning. Okay. That's one more way not to do something. Yeah. Oh no, I a hundred percent agree. But then there's, there's obviously so many more factors if you're starting up something as opposed to working for a company that's already got an audience or has got a marketing budget or has got fun funding. Like it's not comparing apples with apples, but I just, I just feel like it is a thing that not many people talk about. And I wonder how many people don't start that business because they think, right, if it doesn't work, have I just committed career suicide? And, you know, I won't be able to do anything. I think it's a shame. Yeah. I I think you do. You do need to sometimes take that leap of faith. And it's, I've seen a few, like the the people that I'm starting to surround myself are those people that are going, look, it might not be perfect right now, but here's what we're working on and here's how we're doing it. Um, Mm. And like I said, when, when we launched Mitch's kitchen, I'm, I kept going over the website and going, oh, it's not perfect. We need to do this. We need to add this. We need to do that. And we're like, hang on. We've got like a, like the MVP or minimum viable product. Like, let's just see what happens. And we can learn like the website. Yes, we can improve. It can get better. We can do this. But if we can test the products out, get some feedback, see what people like, don't like, what works well, what doesn't, then you can then change that as you go. But if you never start, then you're always going to be seeking perfection and no, yeah. nothing and no one is perfect. You're always looking to go, okay, how can I do more? How can I improve? How can I make it better? How can I streamline it? So it, yeah, it's just yeah. going, okay, get to the point that you go confidently. I'm just going to go with it and see what happens and learn from it. Because if you don't, then you could get stuck in that continual process of holding off, yeah. holding off, holding off until someone else comes along and does it. Yep. Yep. No, I agree. I agree. It's just, it's just an interesting thing to think about. We're going to move on to superpowers. I believe everyone has at least one superpower. What would you say is yours? Food related. I can definitely pull a meal out of nowhere. That's always one of my favorite things. Like when you, you know, when you open the fridge, the cupboards, the freezer, you've got like random scraps of stuff. Yeah. Those are always my absolute favorite meals. I'll always thrive when, when you go, there's nothing in the house. Like what are we going to eat? And then you make a dish and you go, Oh, so good. Like we need to make that again. Uh, it <laughs> yeah. actually, one, one of the dishes that ended up on the, the Mitch's kitchen menu was I called it sun pasta and we'd had a roast dinner the day before, had some leftover sweet potatoes. Um, we had a few other things dotted around in the fridge and the cupboards and I ended up going, okay, we've got some sun-dried tomatoes. I need a bit of oil or something to like give it some more body. So oh, I've got hemp oil that'll do. And, uh, yeah. oh, what milk have I got in the fridge? Oh, cool. It's this milk. And I just made this like, creamy sweet potato sauce that was suddenly like that is amazing like that uh, like we were just both eating and going this is so nice so when we were designing the the menu i was like well that's clearly got to be one of the dishes because that's delicious nice so i think that's that when it comes to food i'd say that's one of my superpowers i think in in general it is always being the like the person in the room that will bring the energy and make people happy and like it's kind of I don't want to say that, what's it called? A toxic positivity. That's a phrase that's thrown around nowadays where you're just positive all the time. Yeah. So, but for me, it's, I'll always have something that I'm really happy or excited or like, even if it's just seeing everyone, like being in the room together, I'm like, that should be enough to go, cool, this is really nice. Like we all work from home. We all dotted about the country. Like when we get together, you should feel better. So I always try to be that person that will lift the mood. You're the second person in two days. I, I had a podcast yesterday. Who said that? Actually, 
I've not heard anyone say that before, but you both said the same thing about superpowers. Amazing. I'm also, I can't believe, I mean, we're like an hour and 20 into this podcast. I've not asked this question yet, but where, where did your love of food and, and knowledge of food come from? I guess it, it was from what I was in school. So 13, 14, and I'd always been quite a big kid in school, like not really to the stage of being like bullied or obese, but I was definitely carrying a lot of extra weight. And okay. I, I loved sport and I loved doing things, but I was like, I'd be the goalkeeper in football because you had to run less and, and those kind of moments. <laughs> okay. But when I, when I saw free running on the telly, it was a, that pivotal moment to go, I really would love to do some of the stuff that those guys are doing, but I know my body is not ready to do that. So what do I need to do? Okay, why don't I, like, I know junk food's bad, so I'm going to cut out fizzy drinks and chocolate bars and whatever. What age was this? Uh, this was 14, going 15. Okay. So, again, you're hitting that kind of, like, getting towards puberty. I think I, I found this moment of going, okay, I'm going to eat better. Started training, jogging, gym, whatever. Like, started to feel a lot better because within, I think, three months, I lost two stone. And in that period as well, I had my braces come off. So I'd gone from being this kind of, like, overweight kid with braces to suddenly going okay I, I can do some pretty fun free running moves and I'm starting to get a bit fitter start to get a bit of a physique and it was to do with what I was eating and that was fueling what I was doing so it was yeah. a, a real positive reinforcement cycle of going okay eat well perform well feel good um so that kind of circle kept going and yeah through through the food thing like I said it was I had a sweet tooth so I'd then want to make stuff that was healthy but still delicious so i got into like baking with protein powders because i was like well i want the protein because i want to get big and strong but getting just drinking a milkshake bores me so i'm gonna try making brownies or flapjacks or whatever but it was all, um, and but it it just, was all self-taught was it not you didn't go to catering college or anything like that yeah and no, i com- completely self-taught um it was just me again surrounding myself in that world looking at food blogs looking i don't know recipe books anything and everything going i wonder if this will work and just a lot of trial and error. Yeah. So yeah, it just really ignited when I was that kind of age. Cause up until then I wasn't really bothered by cooking. Like I didn't really help out much at home. Our, our diet was very kind of standard in terms of what we were having most nights. And it, it wasn't like, it wasn't boring, but it wasn't like, Oh, okay. I remember as a child having these most amazing things. Um, like yeah. one of my favorite memories of food being younger was we used to have if it's on a weekend and it was literally, if it's in the house, you chuck it on the table and you make stuff with it. So maybe <laughs> your, your cheese, crackers, meats, whatever else. Um, and yeah. I still think of that and go, oh, such a great, like, even just the name of it. I was like, that's brilliant. Yeah, that sounds like a cool brand name. You should buy that domain if it's .com. <laughs> okay, we talk about superpowers. Let's talk about soapboxes. What topic is guaranteed to get you on your soapbox? Oof. I think the going back to the valuing your own work that's definitely one of them i feel like people feel too entitled these days that they should just be paid for turning up and that really frustrates me when i see people not pulling their weight or not caring about their work or the fact that someone or a company is paying them to do a role which they're not doing like those kind of things will really drive me mad um Mm -hmm. like i said even with the cafe i'm like guys like you are here to work like just try and be happy about the fact you have a job like just those little things so that's definitely one of them for sure why why do you think that is not the why do you think Um, no sorry not why you think uh, i mean why do you think people are like that i think definitely the 
the reality TV, the influencer world, it has had an effect because even like gaming, for example, kids kids growing up can see people making money from making YouTube videos or now TikToks and, and these kind of things. But mm. those people have been doing it for years or they've had a, a lucky viral break. They've they've done something where they go, actually, I'm putting a lot of time and effort into it. Um, yeah. a, lot of, a lot of the people who do it full time, you don't see the behind the scenes. You just go, well, they're making a minute video. Like, I could do that. And they just think it's it's that easy. Whereas when knowing firsthand from being like doing recipe videos and stuff, there's a lot that goes behind the scenes. And I think it's it's almost going, well, I want to do that. So I'm going to, I'm going to now be a YouTuber or a, a blogger and that's how I'm going to earn money without wanting to physically do any hard work. It's funny you say that. I just, I've started, I'm starting to put together videos. I would love to be a YouTuber, right? I, I have this dream that one day I'll be doing sort of like, you know, the Casey Neistat's of the world but i thought i have to start somewhere right i've never really done that sort of stuff so i've started putting out some videos on tiktok and youtube shorts and whatever and i actually weirdly you say it because i put out a tweet yesterday about how hard video editing is i had i had all this footage from we went away went to on a big wheel in cheltenham at the weekend and i was like i'm gonna i'm gonna vlog it i'm doing air quotation marks for anyone who's listening not watching and I, but I wanted to get on YouTube short, so it's got to be under a minute. I was like, oh my God. I reckon it took me all in probably five hours to edit this video down to <laughs> to be under 59 seconds. And not only did it take me five hours, but it is so obviously someone who doesn't know what they're doing, right? The, the, the <laughs> filming wasn't great. The... I mean, it's not bad. And I, and I, and I hold my hands up, right? I'm on this journey. It's probably like the, the, I'm, I'm work. I'm a beginner, but as a massive YouTube fan, it doesn't half make you realise the amount of work that goes into this stuff. <laughs> you sort of take it for granted. It's like, oh, it's easy, right? They just do a little vlog and they say something to camera, and it's great. It is so bloody hard. Yeah, to edit and that's like we we used to do that with the free running side. Like it, it straight away when I got into free running, I had like a little camera that had video so you you go on to movie maker and you chuck to give you a video like i've got yeah. some of my free running videos from yeah when i'm 15 16 um and they're hilarious to watch because over time you go oh, actually if i had this software i'll get this camera and i do it like you learn to do it like i've i've self-taught myself to edit to do photoshop to do illustrate like different things because now you can search on youtube and you can find tutorials and if you want to like take the time to learn it there's ways of doing it yeah but I think it's it's just again knowing that you even to be a full time like influencer, realistically, unless you're just doing the like half naked modeling stuff and there's a way of monetizing that where you don't necessarily need to be doing a lot of other skills as such. Um, no, no one wants to, to see me do that, mate. Let me tell you that for nothing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was a quick win then. <laughs> uh... No, it's funny. No, I, I think it's the same. Like I, You see these stats about when um, they ask school kids, like, what do you want to do? And then now it's like 90% want to be YouTubers. And it's funny how I agree with you. I think a lot of people would like to do stuff, whatever it is, and it's just putting the work in and the consistency to do it. It's It's just not – people don't want to do that side of things. It's like that delayed gratification or, you know, all that sort of stuff. It's just strange. But I wondered if you had a theory on why that was, as opposed to just blaming social media like <laughs> like me. 
Yeah, I think it, it's having that like naivety to go, well, it's that easy. Like my phone has a camera, I can film myself and I'm going to suddenly make millions. It's like, mm. it doesn't quite work as easy as that. Like obviously the odd people get the odd viral moment and make an absolute killing on it. But virality yeah. is not something you can have as a business plan. It's not, it's not. And that's a good piece of advice to segue on to the next question. Tell me some of the best pieces of advice you've heard. I think it's the, I don't know if it's incorrectly quoted to Mike Tyson, but I love the one about like everyone has a plan until they're punched in the face. Yeah, I think it was Tyson, yeah. I think that's that's almost like always one of the things that you go, actually, it's when you kind of process it and go, actually, yeah, you, you could have the best plan, you could have the best thing. But as soon as something goes wrong, you have to learn yeah. how to adapt and pivot with that. And yeah. I think that's that's startup culture in a phrase. Like you you always have to work out, okay, this is what you want it to do, but what it realistically is going to do is zigzag up and down. You have the highs and lows. And you have to keep going. Oh, that hasn't quite gone to, to plan. How do we? How do we counter it? What do we do next? So yeah. that's that's probably one of them. When I was listening to the other episodes on your podcast, I was thinking like, what would what would my advice be? And I'm like, I think that's that's definitely a big one. But almost the thing that I was saying earlier is like, don't wait for perfect to like, don't let perfection be something that stops you actually starting. Yeah. I think along those lines is you, you just need to kind of throw yourself in and go see what happens um, because that's how you learn and you get better. And even say Stephen Bartlett, for example, he puts his hands up and says, look, when look at my first podcast episodes versus the ones now, mm-hmm. like to the trailers, to everything that's been done, like that machine has just grown and grown and grown. Um, but even he had to start somewhere, like he had to go, okay, like let's, let's go for this. Um, obviously he, he had a slightly he different record. setup to start with. Well, no, but you say that, but he used to record in his cupboard under his stairs or in his bedroom wardrobe because of the acoustics. And he just, he says he used to talk, so I think he used to do it on his phone, in fact, just talk straight into his phone. And you're yeah. right, seeing what he started, I, I remember following him from the beginning. I think I listened to his first ever podcast when he when he launched it. To what he's become now is pretty astounding. Like, he's a fully-fledged media company. And, I, and you know, I know, and you're right. You sort of he's on that journey, and he's it's incredible to watch. Yeah, and that, and that, and that's the thing. Like you, you have to start somewhere. So mm. just go. Okay, what what can I do today to to push myself? If you have okay, this is my overall goal. I want like for me, I want to maybe become an investor, non exec direct, like work with other brands. Okay, like I haven't got the money, time, resource, or anything to do it yet, but. I can grow my network to the stage where I'm around these people who are doing it and see what they do. And you're always observing to go, yeah. okay, one day, if I get to that position, then I've got an idea of how they've done it. So I know you're not starting from zero. So you're already building that roadmap ahead. Do, do you not think about the same sort of things in regards to build out the community for what you're doing now? Kind of like for, for me now, the, the, what we do so I, I move from the community builder role into the food service kind of chefing role and it's a lot more about business development now so it is right. going for the bigger customers and the, the bigger fishes so there is a lot of going okay who who are the dream brands that you want to work with and how do you make that happen and yeah. you a lot of it's keep on knocking keep trying different approaches keep being relevant keep being visible um, like there's a very big one that i can't say yet but fingers crossed we'll hear something soon but if that happens, that's been a year and a half of knocking on doors and continually turning up yeah. and, and showing them and going, cool, like, are we a step closer yet? Can we make it happen? Like, how, how do we do this? Mm. Yeah. 
No, it's good advice. It's, it's an interesting question, the advice thing. It's, 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 it's interesting because there's so much of it out there these days. And again, coming back to social media, it's like there's so much motivational quotes or inspirational quotes or lessons that you know you read about and it's all advice right and it's all it's a bit of a tough question in the sense of it's like asking you what your favorite song is or your favorite movie is or whatever it's it sort of depends upon what you think about at the time or the context of the situation you're asked about or or you know whatever but no i like the tyson one as well it's something to keep in the back of your mind i guess yeah. yeah it's just it's like it's just a very easy kind of thing to go you know what yeah stuff does happen like things things won't go to plan all the time and you have to just know how to move forward and as long as you accept that and don't let it hang you up and you go oh that's it it's over then yeah. you should be fine indeed man indeed mitch if we spoke again in 10 years time and you'd consider that it'd been a pretty successful decade what would have happened Oh, that's a, a big question. I think, as I said uh, earlier, for myself and Shireen, we, we want a family. So, I mean, within 10 years, we should have kids. So that yeah. would be definitely a success. I guess feeling more, well, as as you said, like I'm very driven in terms of what I do and, and how I hold myself. So I'd like to get to the stage where maybe I could be helping other brands out or at a stage of where I have a team or I'm working kind of higher up the ranks to to have more more sway and say rather than just being like I'm doing everything because I, I want to do it yeah so I think definitely progression um and I'd like to say like be firmly within this community and world of the the vegan food free from um kind of scene like I'm, I'm slowly building my reputation within that and I'd, I'd love to be what class as a thought leader um but it's it's slowly getting that way in terms of this year i'm actually a judge for the free from awards and great taste awards so i'm starting mm-hmm. to put myself in in that network of of people and and credentials to say actually no i, I do know what i'm talking about oh that's cool is, is there um is there a market leader in in the in the vegan food world like a kind of a I don't know, like a bird's eye equivalent or someone who's who stands like up there that you sort of aspire to to be like? Depends depends on the country, on the like in, in Europe we're the market leader. So we're in, in Spain we basically have the market majority wise, like we're with Domino's, we're with most cafes, restaurants everywhere. Okay. In the UK we're very late to market. I think you can't you can't talk about the scene. We're talking about the early pioneers like the Corn and the Linda McCartney's. Whether they're the cool, relevant brands they like we're aspiring to be is questionable. But there's no doubt they are great household staples that have a a clear purpose, know what they're doing in terms of the products, the offering, and the the gap they fulfilled for twenty plus years is amazing. So do I they, guess do they still of, have a huge share of market, or are they? I mean, I'm assuming up until a point they were like, they must have had a massive share of market until everyone else started coming in. Are they, are they still, how big How big are they? Yeah, I think corn, corn because corn also own cauldron that do like the tofu and falafels yeah. and some tempeh and stuff. So the, the corn slash cauldron, I think is still a big percentage of the market in the UK. Um, okay. And I, I might be wrong now, but I think they're one of the very few who are still profitable 
um, because most early stage startups, you're investing loads into the technology, into the growth, into everything else that like it's arguable how profitable companies will get until they reach a certain level. And corn is already at a stage now where they're, they've been doing it for so long. They've got everything like it's amazing what they've built. So I think for for market leader, yes. Um, But obviously our biggest competition in the UK would be this, or this isn't chicken. This isn't bacon. Um, They started probably about five years ago in the UK and they're pretty much everywhere. So they're, they're like our biggest kind of, partner emission rival that we're going okay we, we need to start slowly replacing them because uh, i'm confident our products are better but they're like we couldn't be doing what we're doing in the uk without what they've done so yeah you kind of almost go like we see the founders all the time like all events everyone knows each other like it's it's a fun community to be part of and that's for me it's always being approachable and happy and friendly not being like oh competition go away it's yeah like we, we're fighting the same battle so we need to be doing it together that's interesting. It's interesting that you're on. Are you, are you on good terms with them? Do you chat to them, or is there animosity? I probably drive everyone mad, to be honest. Um, <laughs> like when the amount, of, like the amount of comments I had from every other brand, being like, "You're always on LinkedIn. Like you're just you don't shut up, do you?" I'm like, "No." Like the fact you're seeing it, the fact that all these other brands are saying the same, shows I'm doing something right. So that's a good yeah. thing. But I hope, like, when I actually physically talk to people. I'm not a, a nasty person. Like I like to keep the peace and a lot of the other brands. I'm like, yeah, like there's, there's product within what they do that I would say were as good as, or as good as, if not better in certain areas that we aren't doing things like the bacons, for example, we, we haven't entered that world. I don't know if we will, but there's brands are already out there going, actually, that's a very good vegan bacon. So fair play. Like that's great. I was just, I, I guess I was trying to think like you say partners in mission. I'm assuming that's you and your brand as opposed to everyone in the vegan space using that terminology. It's getting there more. I think the more that we club together, like I think the, like I said, this Bloomberg article that came out saying it was a fad um, and all these issues, uh, impossible and beyond essentially teamed up together to be like, Hey, no, it's not a fad. Here's why. Um, so that's the first time because they're normally like, in America, they're head to head as being like, who's the market leader? Like one's got yeah. no Bill Gates an investor. One's all the like film and actresses. Like it's yeah. It, it to see them come together, you go actually as a community, we are slowly going, okay, it's going to take all of us to make a difference because as a company, we had like a graph and it shows, okay, animal protein, plant-based protein. And it's something like, again, like 4% of the market is plant-based proteins. So we're still battling for that. 96 percent or where whatever it is and that's all of these brands in all the different countries fighting the same battle so we need collectively to go okay how do we make that 10 percent, 20 percent, 30 percent more yeah. and i guess if you're fighting with each other then it's you're not getting anywhere are you no yeah okay last question for you mitch and this is comes from yesterday's guest and they said what is one thing you want people to remember you for? Or what is the one thing you want people to remember you for? Hmm. I guess it's one thing I've heard quite a few times, which is something that, again, I'm, I'm proud of, is Hannah from Veganuary and like the Veganuary team. They were like, you always champion everyone else, whether that's competitive brands, whether that is other kind of people in different industries. It's, it's always about uplifting people. So I think that's a really nice thing to be known for is going, actually, yes, I will sing the praises of people doing good things and 
And if I see that, like we need to make sure we collectively shout about it together. So I think yeah. it's it's being that that positive, uplifting voice within the community that will will shout loudest and, and make sure people get praise when they're doing great things. Um, and I think that's something that I would like to to feel that I'm, I do a good job of, um, as well as being obviously positive. Have you always been like that? I think so. Yeah, like I've like I'm not. I think until I had this mini breakdown a couple of weeks ago that was the first time anyone in the team had seen me show any any kind of something that's not positive because and that's not like a force thing that's not like I go home and I sulk and I cry or like whatever it's like no actually I'm generally like a very grateful person um because of all the the ups and downs the fact that I've if I've had say a free running job that's come out of nowhere and it's paid what I need it to for a couple of months then of course I'm going to feel grateful because those Mm. opportunities just come along really randomly so I think it's it's that approach to to life is just always being grateful and saying thank you and 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 being polite and I don't know if that's the way I was raised the way I've who I've surrounded myself with like what I do but ultimately uh, yes that's that's something I'm very very kind of proud of no so you should be again it's it's weird that it's a rare thing these days that people are I like that but does seem to be the case unfortunately mitch i want to thank you for taking the time to come on the podcast today it's you haven't kind of let me down i'm not that i thought you would do but sort of seeing your content you sort of come across as you do in your content which is great because obviously you know it shows that what you're saying on i don't know read on linkedin is authentic and it's just not some bs that you're putting out there to try and get numbers and whatever so i i want to thank you for that and for coming on and taking the time it's been um it's been great to talk to you great to hear your story and uh thank you i think like thank you for having me on it's a, a pleasure to to waffle and uh i hope someone takes something from this um i guess my my closing words would be again if you are, are a founder of a business and you are going through hard times, good times, whatever it is, celebrate it and let people in and, and just communicate that, whether that is on LinkedIn or to friends, family, whoever else, even customers. Mm. Like You'll be amazed at when we were said about closing down the business, the amount of people are like, can we help? Can we give you money? Can we do this? Like We, we had an onpouring of support, even when we've gone, we've got to this stage, we're making this decision. Yeah. Um, it just showed that what we did, even if it was just like a thank you letter, just to be like, look, really sad to see you're closing down. You've changed our lives you've made it easy like having those kind of letters come in just shows that you've been appreciated so i think don't don't be afraid to share what you're feeling and that's almost the message to me too if, if i'm not feeling great i need to let people know i'm not feeling great and not try and hide it or like it's, it's not a bad thing to feel bad no and do you know what we it came up in an episode a little while ago people generally want to help and will help and are happy to help and it's just sometimes they don't know that they needed to help or they don't, you know, they don't know how to or that you require it. And it's an easier said, easier thing said than done is obviously asking for help. But most people do, you know, happy to, right? Yeah. And that, and like, likewise, if, if anyone hears this and goes, oh, I'd love to ask this, then feel free, like re- reach out to me. Um, if I have the time or I will eventually come back to you. It's not like my inbox is like some people as well. Like I've got 500 messages. I'm like, no, <laughs> like I will get back to you when I, when I can. So if anyone does want to reach out, feel free. Well, that's going to be my final thing. So if I want to put in the show notes 
where people can come and say hello where where should i direct them linkedin yeah just just linkedin i don't i don't have an instagram i don't have a youtube or anything as yet unless we're we're saying this recipes on a rooftop kicks off but yeah linkedin even if you search the brand uh, which is h e u r a foods you're probably going to see my content first because I'm competing with the founder to be the noisiest and, and have the, the most engagement. So uh, I'm, I'm working on it. I will link to that too. And I will link to your LinkedIn profile. So go say hi to Mitch if you would like. Mitch, thank you so much for joining me. Brilliant. Cheers, Chris. That was 10Q interview with Mitch Lee. If you made it to the end, thank you. I hope you enjoyed it. I'm assuming you enjoyed it since you're still here. Feel free to share any thoughts on any of the social channels at 10Q interview everywhere you may look. That's all from me for now. Make sure you subscribe wherever you're listening to this. And if you did enjoy it, if you did get any value, a review is always hugely appreciated. The next Thank You interview episode will be live in your feed very, very soon. Take care. Bye.